you found this podcast probably because you know a little bit about our ministry called Time of Grace and our passion about connecting people to God through all kinds of media. Well, did you know that we do a lot more besides just television and podcasting? If you check out our website, timeofgrace.org, you're going to find tons of ways to learn about the good news of Jesus, from daily written devotions to daily video devotions, tons of podcasts, blogs, our Bible basic series called Bible Breath, and books and books and resources and more resources to help you in your walk with God. So if you're interested in any of that, just go to timeofgrace.org. I've changed the way I've looked at God's story. I used to think that God's story was a lot like the story of the Titanic. You know the story of the Titanic where it hit the iceberg and then it got wrecked and started to sink and the only people who were saved were the people who could jump onto the life raft and float away to safety. I used to think that that was kind of God's story. That, that God created a good world, but then the world got wrecked by sin and it was going to be sinking. And so the only point of this life was to jump onto the life raft of Jesus and float away to heaven to be saved. But the more I read the Bible, the more I see that, that God's story is a lot more like the TV show, Extreme Makeover, Home Edition. Do you ever see that TV show? It starts off where... Um, this house gets wrecked and then a crew comes in and demolishes the parts that aren't working, that are broken, and the house is remade. And then people go back to this renewed house in this new life. I think that's a lot more like God's story. That yes, God creates this beautiful world, but this beautiful world gets wrecked. And then Jesus comes into the world, lives a perfect life for us, dies on the cross for all of our sins, and is resurrected. And then he says that our bodies are one day going to be resurrected and he's going to resurrect this world. In fact, when we get to the last page of the Bible, Jesus says, I'm going to make all things new. He doesn't say I'm going to make new things. He's going to make, I'm going to make everything new. He's going to make a new world, give us new bodies, and most of all, a new relationship with God. Now, why do I think it is so important that we understand this? Well, if we look at the world kind of like the Titanic and, and God's story like the Titanic, well then, God's story is ultimately a tragedy. That this world is going down and the only point of our life is to escape to heaven somewhere. But that's not God's story. God's story is leading toward a happy ending to a renewed world. And so, we're in the middle of a very good story. And so here's what that means. If things are going well for you right now, just wait, it's going to get even better. Or if things are not going well for you right now, hold on, you're in the middle of a story that's leading to a very happy ending where God's going to make everything new. Let's pray. Lord God, as I look out at this world and we look out at this world, we see that, man, so many things are going wrong. So many things are going bad. But you promised to make all things new. Help us to look forward to that last day and enjoy your renewal project even right now. In your name we pray. Amen. One of my favorite books outside of the Bible is Viktor Frankl's book, A Man's Search for Meaning. 
Viktor Frankl was a Jewish psychologist who was also a prisoner of war in a Nazi concentration camp. And while he was in the concentration camp, he came to understand that the Nazis' most lethal weapon was to dehumanize its prisoners. And so here's what they did. They would take away their name and give them a number. Take away their clothes and give them a striped jumpsuit. Take away their family and put them in isolation. And take away meaningful work and give them meaningless work. And here's what Viktor Frankl found out. That if people believed the lie that their life had no meaning and purpose, they would give up on life even before they made it to the gas chamber. And so Viktor Frankl said that the only way to survive was to believe that your life still had meaning and purpose. In fact, he had this mantra. He would say, if a person has a big enough why, they can endure almost any how. And I think Viktor Frankl has discovered something about human beings, about human nature, that we are motivated by knowing that our life matters by meaning and purpose. Unfortunately, sometimes I talk to some Christians and they talk as if this life didn't matter. As if the only point of this life was to believe in Jesus and float up to heaven somewhere far, far away. But that's not what I find when I read the Bible. Especially when we look at Judgment Day. At the end of the book of Revelation, the Apostle John sees this vision of Judgment Day and this is what he says. He says, And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. And so John describes two different sets of books. First of all, the book of life. That represents everyone who believes in Jesus as their Savior. They've repented of their sins, they trusted in Jesus as in their Savior, and so their names are written in the book of life, and they will enjoy eternity with God. But there's also another stack of books you could call the book of deeds. And, and what he says in there is that those who've rejected the Lord will be judged on everything that they've done. They will have to answer for all of their sins. But also, even Christians, those whose names are written in the book of life, they will also be judged on their deeds, but they will be rewarded for those things that they've done in God's name. And so that's why Jesus can say things like, if you give a cup of cold water to one of these little ones who believes in me, you will surely not lose your reward. So why does this matter? What is this teaching us? Well, first of all, um, what we learn about Judgment Day is if we believe in Jesus as our Savior, we will not be condemned. There is no condemnation in Jesus Christ. We also learn that what we do matters. Uh, what we do matters. Those little things that you do in secret, in service to God, God sees those things and you will surely receive your reward. And so that gives us a big why to live for and so we can endure anyhow. Let's pray. Lord God, as I consider and as we consider Judgment Day, take away any fear that we'd have. Help us to look forward to that last day when you will smile upon us, when you will lead us into eternal life. And Lord God, give us meaning and purpose right now. Lead us to do acts of love, acts of kindness in secret 
to the glory of your name because you promise we will surely not lose our reward. Amen. The next time you're in the grocery store aisle, uh, look at all the different magazines. It seems like no matter what the magazine is advertising or is about, they all have one thing in common. They're all promoting the perfect body, the secret to getting the perfect body. It seems like all of us have this deep desire to have a perfect body and it always seems just out of reach no matter how hard we try. Well, we're continuing our series on heaven and what we've talked about so far is God is going to make all things new. And one of those things that he's promised to make new is your body, that one day you will get a perfect body. In fact, that's what Paul says when he writes to the Philippians. He says this, Jesus will transform our lowly bodies so they will be like Jesus' glorious body. Did you hear that? One day you will have a perfect body. When Jesus comes back, he's going to resurrect your body. But that leads to all sorts of questions like, when is this going to happen? What is my new body going to be like? How is this all going to take place? And Paul tries to answer some of those questions when he writes a letter to the Corinthians, especially in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And, and here's at least one line from that section. He says this, Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. So here's a little bit of that mystery. On the last day when Jesus returns, not all people will have died. Some people have already fallen asleep or died. But we're all going to be changed at this last trumpet. The dead will be raised imperishable. That means we will get a brand new body that won't decay, won't grow old, won't have disease. We will have a perfect body. Well, that's good news for someday in the future, but what about for you today? Well, that means that you shouldn't be frustrated if you can't get a perfect body this side of Jesus' return. Um, but it's okay to try to eat right and take care of your body and exercise and do all those things. That's good. God has given you a body as the temple for the Holy Spirit. It's a good gift from God. And you can wait anticipating the day when he returns and finishes the job, when he makes all things new, and that includes you. Let's pray. Lord God, so many of us, so many times we struggle with our body image. We struggle because we desire the perfect body. We want to look better and feel better and have more energy. Lord God, as much as we can enjoy those gifts this side of your return, give us those gifts if it's your will. But then lead us to look forward to the day of your return when you will make all things new, including us. Amen. If you feel like this world is spinning out of control, well, then you might resonate with what the Apostle Paul says when he writes the Romans, in Romans chapter 8, when he says this, We know that the whole creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. So if you feel like this whole world is in pain and groaning, you're not alone. Paul says, yes, it feels like this whole world is groaning in pain. 
but he says it's not pointless pain. He compares the groaning and the pain of this world to a woman in childbirth. It's pain with a purpose, that one day all of this groaning in our world is going to lead to a new birth when God makes all things new. In fact, when God describes Jesus' return on the last page of the Bible, uh, he uses language really from the first page of the Bible, uh, the story of creation. Let me read to you from the last page of the Bible and see if you can hear echoes of the story of creation. John writes, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. So do you hear that? When Jesus returns, God's going to make a new heaven and a new earth. He's going to make this world new. And God is going to again come down and dwell with his people like he did in the Garden of Eden. And he's going to wipe out from this world all these things, all these natural disasters, all this pain, all this suffering. In fact, in the next verse of the Bible, he says this, Behold, look, I'm making everything new. Jesus doesn't say, I'm making new things, but he's going to make everything brand new. He's going to give us a new world with new bodies and a new relationship with God. And so that means next time you're, you're looking at the latest headlines and you hear about the catastrophes and the virus outbreaks and the hurricanes and the, and the tornadoes and all those things that are going on, um, it's okay for you to try to, to improve the world and take care of the world and, and, and look for cures for the latest outbreak. But recognize that all this pain and suffering, all this groaning is leaning towards a new birth, the day when God will return and make everything new. Let's pray. Lord God, when I consider all of the things that are happening all over this world, when we look at that, we can be overwhelmed. It can seem like this world is spinning out of control, and yet you're still in control. Uh, these are all pains, but the pains like the pains of childbirth, and, and one day you're going to make everything new. So Lord God, help us to take care of your creation, your created world, until you return. Amen. Sometimes at dinner, my family and I will play this game where I'll ask them the question, what are you looking forward to most in God's renewed world? And we always get some great answers. Someone will say how they look forward to petting a wild animal. Or someone will say, I can't wait to talk to famous people from the Bible like Moses or David. And then someone will say, I can't wait to walk down those golden streets of the renewed world and to see those big buildings made of precious stones. And when we talk about this, I get pretty excited because these are great answers. In fact, they're all found in the Bible. The Bible talks about how the child will be able to play by the nest of the cobra and how the lion will eat straw like an ox and how we will gather with all of the saints and the people who have gone before us like Moses and David and worship around the throne and how we'll walk down those streets of gold. And that's all very exciting. But when the Bible wants to tell us the best part of 
the renewed world. It doesn't talk about those things. As we get to the very end of the Bible, the very last page of the Bible, it says that the best part of this renewed world is this. God says, and they will see his face. We will see God's face. You see, the greatest tragedy of creation is that we are no longer in a relationship with God where we can see him visibly. We can't see his face. And so when he returns, that'll be the best part about his renewed world, that we'll finally get to see God's face, his smiling face of approval. And we know what that's like. We know what it's like when, when someone approves of us, maybe a spouse or a parent or a child or a friend, where they look at us and they smile with approval. Well, that's what it's going to be like, except it's going to be even better when the almighty, all-knowing God smiles on us. But we don't have to wait for the last day to experience this in part. In fact, um, Moses taught his leaders, the priests, to, to speak this word of blessing. And for over 3,000 years, uh, God's leaders have been speaking this word of blessing over their people. In fact, you've probably heard it before, but maybe now that you understand the importance of seeing God's face, you'll, you'll appreciate this blessing even more. Where God's people say, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with favor and give you peace. See, Right now, we can begin to experience God's blessing. Right now, by faith in Jesus Christ, we know that God smiles on us. And because he smiles on us with favor, right now we can begin to experience peace. And then we look forward to the day when we see God face to face, when we see the smile on his face, and his smile will satisfy our soul. Let's pray. Lord God, we look forward to the day of your return. We look forward to the day when you will make all things new. But more than anything, Lord God, we look forward to the day that we will see your face and you will smile upon us with approval. 